Good morning, and welcome to Central Church. Gospel of God is what we're calling it. We're using the, the epistle to the Romans from Paul. This whole book is one letter, and every week we're, we're working our way through it all summer long. Remember, this is written by Paul, formerly Saul. And so chapters two and three, he's describing that it's not just the Gentiles' problem. And in chapter three, it's on page, it's on page 16 in the journal. He writes this in verse nine. What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. All we have already charged them all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And he culminates this section in chapter 3, the verses I really want us to look at, 23 and 24, the next page over, page 18. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I like the way Eugene Peterson does the message version translation of that. He writes it this way. There is no difference between us and them in this. Since, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's it. In that, he says, there's no distinction between them and us. Now, in Paul's writing, the them and us are the Gentiles and the, and the, and the Jews. But we've made an art form of thems and uses. Thems are always bad, and us are, well, we're always pretty good. Thems are rotten, rotten to the core. But us, us, we're okay. Them, they are terrible. But us, well, we're pretty good. We do that in so many areas. Politically, we're more divided than ever. The other political party, whoever the other political party, thems, thems are bad. Us, we're pretty good. We've done that in, in race. Them are bad. We are, are good. We've done that in, in gender. Them are bad. We are good. We've done that in, in religion. Them, them, those, them, thems, those are bad. But we are, we are good. And we can always find someone, someone worse than us. We know, we know, I mean, the, the Saddam Hussein's of the world, them, them's bad. The, the Osama bin Laden's, them's, them's, them's are bad. They're sinners, sinners, sinners. This is five years from the Pulse uh, shooting in Orlando. That, you know, those guys, those, those mass murderers, they're sinners. Of course, they're sinners. Drug kingpins, they're sinners. But, but Paul is saying, Billy Graham's of the world, the Mother Teresa's of the world, the you and me's of the world, well, we're, we're in the same boat. For all have sinned. Paul is saying, look in the mirror. I, I don't have to tell you that, do I? Look in the mirror, you know. 
you, you, you know. Oh, maybe you're not, you're not a, a drug kingpin. You're not a mass murderer. But Paul is saying we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is a religious term. It's a theological term. It's a, a term that talks about our separation from God and us. We were created in the image of God, and yet sin, sin is the culprit, sin is the reason, sin is the, the great divider, if you will. Sin is all pervasive. What, what irreligious people do out in the open, flagrant for all to see, Paul is saying religious folks do secret, hidden, hypocritical. And Pastor John, he handled that passage uh, masterfully last week from, from chapter 1. We like to point out the big sins, right? The, the sins that we don't ever do, the bad, bad, bad sins. And you, can, you, you know, the, the base mind, evil, malice, murder, haters of God. Well, we're not haters of God. We like to point those things out. Oh, those are bad. Those are really, really bad. You do those, you're bad haters of God. You're bad. But the ones that hit closer to home, envy, gossip, boastful, foolish, Oh, we like to skip over those. And Paul is saying, God, God, he sees, he sees the bad news. He sees those terrible, terrible, horrible, horrible, horrible sins. But God doesn't skip over those other sins that we like to skip over. That sin is that thing that causes us to fall short, fall short of the glory of God. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Every time. Sin causes us to fall short. Fall short brings to mind uh, a runner, right? Maybe because of exhaustion or injury, they fall short of the finish line. Oh, so disappointing. Falling short, it brings to mind maybe as if you're not a runner but you're a cook and you're making something and you don't have one of the, the ingredients and your, and your neighbor is gone, you can't borrow a cup of sugar and so you fall short. Oh, that's so disappointing. And maybe, maybe you're, you're into crafts and you start a project, it's bigger than you thought and so eventually you, you figure, oh, I just can't do it and so you're so, you fall short. Maybe you're a Netflix binge watcher and you decide, all right, this weekend I'm going to just watch, watch, watch. But you get like two, three episodes in and it's like, ah, this isn't really worth my time. Unfulfilled. And Paul is saying, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a Netflix special. This isn't a cookie recipe. This isn't a, even a race. This is life. And in life, when we fall short... When we fall short of the glory of God, we're in trouble. That's what Paul is saying. We're in deep, deep trouble. Uh, there was a preacher a couple centuries ago almost now, Jonathan Edwards. He was the original hellfire and brimstone preacher. Uh, he preached a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was said that he would preach it with such fervor and energy that people would hold on to the pews for fear that the... That the, the, the uh, floor would open up and they would fall into the abyss. The original hellfire brimstone. No, that's really not my style. I'm not too, people would not accuse me of hellfire brimstone preaching. Although when I was in seminary, uh, you know, you had to preach in front of your class and the professor, when I got done preaching, you know, you, the professor's there, the classmates are there. And when I got done preaching, 
the professor said, I think Rob just told us that we were all going to hell, but he made it sound like it was going to be a fun ride. I don't know if that was a compliment or not. He did give me an A on that sermon. Don't be too impressed. He gave everyone an A. He was a very easy grader. I'm not necessarily helpful. Jesus, Jesus talked about hell. Jesus talked about the personification of, of evil and the person of the devil. Jesus told stories about how, how people would be surprised at judgment day, that there would be a judgment day. Those that would surprise were the ones that didn't feed the hungry, that didn't care for the needy. He said, there's a day coming, and when that day comes, and I'm going to say, I don't know you. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. Of course you know us. No. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. He talked about a judgment day. It was real. He talked about, about these two guys, a, a rich man in, in torment, a poor man named Lazarus in paradise. And how the rich man said to to, to God Almighty said, said, send Lazarus to tell my brothers about this horrible, terrible place, which incidentally, the, the rich man is still trying to boss the poor man around, which tells you a little bit about him. And Jesus' response was, was very simple. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. A little foreshadowing. Jesus talked about that. It was real. But, but more than that, more than, than the consequences, our eternal consequences, Jesus spoke of the brokenness that sin causes in our relationships here and now. The brokenness that happens in our relationships with each other, the brokenness that happens between us and God Almighty here and now. You don't have to wait for, for the sweet by and by. That happens here and now. And he was saying, there's, there's some consequences to that. We're in trouble. We fall short of the glory of God here and now. Not just, not just one day out there. Yes, there's consequences to our sinful choices. Yeah, there's a place where you'll be separated from God for all eternity, but, but that begins here and now. You don't have to wait till then. And that leads us to a brokenness right now. We're in trouble. In a couple of weeks, we're going to flip ahead. It's on page 24 in the journal of chapter 5. And on page 24 in chapter 5, Paul talks about how, in verse 6, how we are weak, how we are ungodly. Verse 10, even worse, how we are enemies of God. The one thing you do not want to be in this whole world is an enemy of God Almighty. I think we can all agree to that. What don't I want to be? I do not want to be God on my bad side or me to be on God's bad side. But that's exactly how he refers to us. We're in trouble. We fall short. We fall short of God's glory. We fall short of God, what God's hopes and dreams are for us. We fall short because of sin, because we've all fallen short. We fall short of, of his hopes, his dreams. We fall short of, of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit. We fall short. And the big question is what are we going to do about it? How are we going to remedy this terrible problem? Now, you're not going to like my answer. There's nothing you can do about it. Oh, people have tried. They've tried to work their way. They've tried to talk their way. They've tried to buy their way. If I just put enough in the plate, well, God, God will forgive me for sure. You know, I gotta, if I do this, then God will notice, hey, he's not so bad. We can't justify ourselves. 
When I try to justify my actions, I try to tell you, I'll tell you why I did what I did and the reasons why I did what I did. And, and given the circumstances, you would have done what I did too. I'm justifying myself. Police officer pulls you over. I, yes, absolutely, I was speeding. I know I was speeding, but officer, I was going to church. I was going to help somebody. I'm a pastor. I've dropped the pastor card a few times. Sometimes it's work, sometimes it has. One time we had a lady, we had a lady pulled in, she was pulled over in the church parking lot. And the police officer followed her right into the church parking lot and she said, I'm coming to church, I was late for church, I was coming to church, she's justifying her actions. He didn't care, he still wrote out a ticket, handed it to her. She said, I'm gonna walk into that church and I'm gonna pray for you. I don't want to, but I'm going to. I don't think he was moved by that either. We try to justify our actions. No, I don't go to church as much as somebody, but you know, you don't see all the good I do. No, I don't give as I don't give a tithe, but you don't see all the people I help. We do that in our apologies. You know, where we, we say we're sorry, we've hurt someone, we've disappointed someone, and so we apologize, but we do so in a manner in which by the time we're done, the person hurt feels guilty for being hurt. Oh, you know, I, yes, I'm, I'm terribly, terribly sorry. It wasn't me, I was out of character. I feel, I feel so horrible, I feel terrible, terrible, terrible. And the person hurt feels worse than we do. That's not a true apology. And that can't be true forgiveness. And the problem with that is we take that same attitude with God. Oh, sure, God, I, I know, I did that. I was, I was, but, but Lord, you understand, you know me. And I'm not as bad as that guy. Look at that guy, look how bad he is, woo-hoo. I'm not like that. Problem is, God does know who we are. God does see how we respond. See, uh, we have two ways of approaching our our sinfulness, if you will. We we can approach it as if our sins are no account, no big deal. Or we can approach it as if we are no account. I, I, years ago, when I was first pastoring, I went to visit a guy in jail. He had been in and out of jail, I don't know how many times. And his mother asked me to go visit her son, who was in jail again. And so I went. I had never been to a jail to visit anyone before, and this was my first experience. So I went to the jail. And I got there. It was a Sunday afternoon. I'll never forget. I got there, and... Uh, you know, rang the bell, and who came to greet me at the door? The guy, the prisoner that I was coming to see. I felt like I was in Mayberry RFD, and this was Andy Griffith or whatever. And he let me in, and we went to the, you know, the talking area, and we talked, and when I left, you know, he let me out. out. I mean, outside was right there. He let me out. He had the keys. And so when we were talking, when we were talking, uh, you know, I said, you know, your mom wanted me to come and see you. I can't remember what he was in for. I think it was petty theft of some sort. And I said something about, you know, she's really concerned about you and concerned about some of your choices. And, you know, uh, stealing is it's in the top ten. You don't want to steal. And, and he, um, he said, oh, Pastor, it's no big deal. Nobody was hurt. It's, it's no big deal at all. His sins were of no account. Now, now a, a little later, um, next church later, actually, I was preaching a sermon, and I don't even know, this wasn't the heart of the sermon, but I was preaching a sermon, 
And in the sermon, I mentioned abortion. And I noticed this lady got up and went out. And when she did, um, when she did go out, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, she went out because of abortion. And later that week, I, I called her and I said, I noticed that you laughed. And we ended up having a conversation. And this is what happened. She said, um, she, she said, yeah, that's exactly right, Pastor. You, you perceive that correctly. And I'll never forget that day, that conversation. She said, I killed my baby. She said, God will never forgive me. I killed my baby. For her, her she was no account. You see the difference between these two? This, this one, my sins, no big deal. This one, my sins, that is the deal. I can't get past it. That's who I am. And in both cases, in both cases, it was not right, it was not holy, it was not... Eventually, he, I don't think he ever changed his ways, to be real honest. She, she did discover the joy that comes in Christ. the words that Paul uses in this passage are justified. Not that we can justify ourselves, but that Christ can justify us, that Christ can make us right with him. It, it gets to the heart of really this entire letter. We looked at it in the very first week. It, it, it doesn't happen on our account. It happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul in 1.17, so for for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, and as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's all about faith in Jesus, the one who went to the cross for us. It's going before him, like the old hymn writer said, said, just as I am without one plea. It's accepting the love and the grace of God instead of his wrath, instead of what our sins deserve. It's accepting his love and grace into our life. It's allowing him to pour out the healing waters of his love. It's, it's, it's recognizing that God, God doesn't hold that against us, but instead declares us righteous. He accepts us as it is, as we are. It, it, we go to him and say, I am so, so wrong. And Jesus says to you, I am making you so, so right. That's what this is about. He remembers our sins against us no more. He attaches those sins to us no more. It, it's not that he comes and says, oh yeah, I forgave him, but there's Rob Prince. You know what he did? It's, oh, there's Rob Prince, my son, my child, the apple of my eye. Paul uses the word justification 22 times, mostly in the letter to Romans. And he uses it as if it's to say that, that we are in right relationship with Jesus Christ that we get to the spot that we couldn't get to all on our own. Again, the two big things in this whole letter. One, we are in trouble for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all of us are in trouble. We can't get there on our own. But the second big point is the, the verse 24, that we can be justified as a free gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I think the thing that hangs us up 
sometimes. We believe in justification by faith. Thank you, Martin Luther. We believe in that. But our hang-up is it's a free gift. You've heard it said, nothing in life is free, buddy. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. No, this sounds too good to be true. It's true. Jesus offers you this free gift that we can be made whole, well, right with him. Those sins that we have kind of brushed off, rationalized away, justified ourselves, ah, it's no big deal. Those self-condemnation points in our life that we cannot get over, it's a huge deal. Jesus, the justification comes through both of those and remedies both of those. Paul uses another deeply theological word in this passage, the redemption. Redemption, it speaks of, of in Paul's era, it was a, a, a term from the slave trade. It was the slaves who were redeemed. They, they, they were paid for, they were bought, they were set free. For us, we don't use redemption very much. You know, we redeem coupons, Kohl's cash. Carla is the queen of Kohl's cash. You know, 30% off, plus my Kohl's cash, and blah, 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 and do all this. And, and then the checkout lady, you know, says, okay, you would have spent $467, but it's $12.82. I don't know how that works. But the readers of this letter, hmm, it wasn't a sweater, they were getting cheaper. When Paul talks about redemption, it was freedom. They understood. A lot of the readers were former slaves. They knew when you were free, you were free, redeemed. Do you remember that old Fanny Crosby song? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. It speaks of a joy that I otherwise would never have known. It speaks of the shame being gone and the guilt being gone and I'm free, I'm finally free, redeemed. I tried to think of who would best know that? Who would best know that experience? And I thought of my friend Andy Williams. I called Andy this week. I said, Andy, I want to tell a little bit more of your story. Andy has shared his story in our church before. I said, Andy, can I talk a little bit about your story again? Because really what I wanted to know, Andy, here's the Reader's Digest. Andy, uh, when he was 17 years old, he and a friend robbed a convenience store. And in the process of robbing that convenience store, the friend shot and killed the clerk. It's terrible. Andy was convicted of first-degree murder. Even though he didn't pull the trigger, he was there and participated in that robbery convicted of first-degree murder and spent the next 27 years in prison. So he went in as a 17-year-old, came out as a 44-year-old. But 10 years in, uh, Andy became a Christian. So 10 years into his prison time, he became a Christian. He experienced all the things we've been talking about today, justified by Jesus, accepting the free gift, redeemed. And so and Andy's a great guy. Oh, my land. And, and so I, I called him because I wanted to see what it was like coming out of prison. He would know, he would know, he would know what it was like coming out of prison. After being 27 years, he goes in as a 17-year-old kid, he comes out a 44-year-old man, he would know. And I, I thought he would tell me, you know, yeah, the day he was in Jackson, 
uh, was the last place, and I thought he would tell me when I stepped out of prison, the birds were singing, the sun was shining, there was a cool breeze. And he, he told me some of those things, you know, it was kind of surreal, he said, and everything seemed bigger, larger, because you weren't confined in, in small places. He told me how on that first day he had to see his parole officer and he got a driver's license and um, uh, he had to go to the eye doctor first day. Oh, and he went to Applebee's. Not my first choice, but where he went. But he said, Pastor, I was free long before that day. That wasn't the day I became free. I was free long before that. And then he told me a story that I wasn't expecting what was better than him just stepping out of prison. He told me that after he'd become a Christian, I told you 10 years in, he became a Christian. He said it was, I don't know, 13, 14 years after that. He was in the prison in St. Louis, Michigan, in the prison yard. Again, he'd been convicted of first-degree murder. He didn't pull the trigger, but he was there. He was a participant. He said, Pastor, you can't go back to the victim and ask forgiveness when it's first-degree murder. He said, and the, and the family doesn't want to hear from you. you you're responsible for their loved one's death. He says, that's just between you and God. He said, and I remember when I was in the yard in the St. Louis prison, been a Christian now for 10, 14 years, whatever it was. He said, and, I, and God came up to me and, and said, Andy, I forgive you from that worst moment in your life. From that too, you're forgiven. From that too. Maybe you're here today, and you know, you know, you know, you haven't been involved in a murder, but you know these sins. Maybe they're not as bad as somebody's, but you know your sin. Look, you've looked in the mirror. Maybe you've made them of no account. Or maybe you're the exact opposite. You've made them the whole account. God could never forgive me because of that. I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you and will forgive you right where you're at. Yes, it makes a difference in your eternal accommodations, but much, much, much more than even that. It's right now, it's here. It's feeling the experience of being redeemed. No more guilt or shame. Experience the love and the forgiveness of the Father, becoming the person that God always wanted you to be.